Welcome back, basketball fans, to the first Above the Clouds podcast for Regal Radio. I'm your host, Chris Pennant, Regal Radio senior basketball correspondent and Chicago Sky. I don't want to say insider, but basically insider here. I've been covering this guy all season, back since 2015. Very glad to have on the podcast Nick Neendorf of High Post Hoops. He's been covering this guy all season, also a contributor at Pippin Ain't Easy, so you expect to see him on some Bulls coverage this year. And uh, this is actually uh, the first time that I've had the chance to talk to Nick on a podcast, but he is a great, very informative resource on, on basketball, both WNBA and NBA. And as I found out, very good distance runner back in high school, Lincoln Way North, right, Nick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had some, I had some decent times. I don't want to toot my own horn. They were, they were all right. <laughs> and for, for me, who's a, a career short distance and jumper, if you have a good time in the 800, it's going to beat every time that I've got. So, is <laughs> <laughs> never my favorite. So, you might have me there. All right, Nick, I definitely appreciate you coming on, as I said. So let's get right down to business. Uh, the Chicago Sky, sitting right now at 19 and 13, in the number five spot in the, in the, in the WNBA. Two games until the playoffs with a chance to catch the Los Angeles Sparks. And even before we get into the playoffs talk, this is essentially the exact same roster that finished 13 and 21 a, a year ago. What has James Wade done to turn this team around? You know, we know Jontel Lavender's come in, but how, he, how has he gotten this team to buy in and become a playoff contender? You know, I won't, I won't pretend like I'm, I'm in the locker room every day or anything like that, but it does seem like he, he has gotten the team to buy in and actually develop a culture. I feel like that's what was kind of missing with the sky before just kind of talking to players, even before this actual season had begun, there seemed to be just a different mood with the team. A lot of players just mentioned that there's a lot more accountability now and there's a lot more just people. I don't want to say caring because they obviously cared before, but are a lot more responsive to what Wade does. I think you see that in the way that, you know, the skies had, the sky had plenty of points this season where they could have just collapsed. You know, they had that four game losing streak and, I know that was kind of a, a tipping point where I kind of wondered, like, is this going to be their season? Is it just going to end up like the year before? But they really responded. And I think, like you said, a lot of that is just Wade getting them to buy in, getting them to stay motivated the whole season. And it's, it's really paid off. I'd love to pick his brain on that. But it's, it's something that I know you can see at press conferences, whether we're in the room or not. Um, it it kind of showed itself after that, that loss against Dallas a few days ago where he just looked, he was just morose up there. Like he and Courtney Vandersloot looked very much like a team that had lost to another team that they shouldn't have, that they let a game go. And that's exactly what he said. And he, you know, he's been very upfront about taking the blame when he feels like it's, he doesn't put players out on front street. Uh, I think he specifically said, it's like, I think the game plan was shit. And then she immediately responded. It's like, well, that wasn't it at all. So it seems like both the players and the coach are very quick and very much like, like we said, they, they want to lift each other up. They want to, they want to defend each other and they, they want, everybody is, is kind of has, has everybody else's back. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, Cause I can't recall a time where 
Wade has really put one of his players on blast publicly in, in an overly negative light. He might say that a player has to work on something or that they're still progressing this season. I, I, I kind of think of like the way he handled the KD Lou situation, which is a really difficult situation to handle. You know, you have this top pick who really hadn't played much at all the entire season. And he was getting questions about it almost every day of practice, almost every game. And he never threw Hunter in the bus. It was always very positive. It was always very protective. And I think that's something I really appreciate of Wade. And it's something I think the players appreciate a lot. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, she's a first-year player, like you said, highly touted rookie. I know in the in the preseason, I was looking at her possibilities as, a, as such a prolific three-point shooter, uh, especially her junior year at UConn. And then to go through the injury and you know that there's no matter – the size of the fan base, there's always that sect that wants more, more and more, especially when you have a rookie with that, with that kind of, um, that kind of background. And yeah, I, I wasn't aware of that because I, I haven't been able to get to practices. So that's an even, that's an even more uh, pure or, or more clear identifier of how he's been able to deal with, with, an, with being a, first, a first year head coach in a large market, with a team that has a lot of expectations. Yeah. And I think like you, like you said, being a first year head coach, I feel like that's a good point to bring up because obviously he was an assistant before in the WNBA, but obviously if you're an assistant, you're not, you're not the face of the team. You're not the person who has to answer all those questions. And I know he has head coaching experience in Russia, but I have to imagine in the WNBA, it's probably a bit different in terms of the reporters coming at you. And so I, I have really appreciated how well he's handled that. He's just been – he's been a natural, really. So we've got, like I said, two games going until the playoffs, uh, Connecticut and Washington on the road. The team in front of the Chicago Sky, the Los Angeles Sparks, they have uh, the Minnesota Lynx in their last game at home and before that the Seattle Storm. The Storm are locked into the playoff spot. I believe the number seven spot just below the Lynx and um, – ahead of the Phoenix Mercury. And then uh, the Minnesota Lynx, as we said, are in that set, that uh, spot right behind the sky. So they're, with, the, with Chicago being a game back of Los Angeles right now with two games to play, Sparks at home, Sky on the road, do you think and how much, what odds would you give them or what percentage would you say the sky has of a chance to overtake Los Angeles? You know, it's it's obviously tough just because the Sky are on the road and they've been at best on and off on the road in terms of their performances. And I think a probably more accurate way of saying it is they, they haven't been great on the road, especially compared to how well they've played at home and going to face the Mystics and the Sun. I mean, that's a tough slate. So I'd probably give them maybe like a 30% chance just because the Sparks, they do have that game on them. And they are really just in control of their own destiny. Uh, and they have a lot of incentive to, to win those games and get, get good seating over the aces and obviously the sky as well and not drop into that second round spot. So I just, I think the sky have a good chance of splitting their last two games, but I don't think it's going to be enough to overtake the sparks. And that's tough. I know that that loss against Dallas is probably going to, loom very large, especially when you could have skipped around, when you could have had a buy into the second round. But this is an interesting question. I know this always comes up when it, uh, when it gets to the end of a season for any team and when there's a chance at a buy. 
What do you think is the – do you think teams trend towards having the, having the advantage of having games off, getting to watch other teams play, or do you think there's something to um, a momentum if a team plays a single elim- elimination, either the first round or both rounds? Do they come in with a better sense of, of themselves, or do they come in with momentum once, if they make it to the semifinals? You know, I think that's a good point because, and I think the WNBA is so unique in that because you do have that double round by or that single round by, and then those first two rounds are single elimination, and then you get in a series. I feel like that's that's super unique, at least in American sports, to the WNBA. And I think it really depends on the team. I think if the sky were really banged up, if they were dealing with some injuries outside of the Jantel Lavender injury, obviously, they're dealing with other injuries that double round buy or even just the one buy could be really big for them. But for the most part, it does seem like they are really healthy. And like you said, they are kind of riding this wave of momentum. And so I do kind of wonder, I never want to say it's beneficial to go into a single elimination game, but I do wonder if they do win that second round game and they continue that momentum can continue building that could pay off dividends for them into the third round when they actually get into a real series and obviously down the road playing in a single elimination game is just good experience for the players. But yeah, I I do think the idea of momentum there is interesting. I I think overall just about any team is probably going to pick to have that uh, double buy. That's probably the, the primary end goal just because you do avoid that single elimination game or two. But I I do think that there is a chance for the sky to really build some momentum there. You brought up a really good point too, Nick, in a season where so much has been made of the absence of a lot of superstars, super duper stars in uh, the WNBA this year, the sky remained relatively healthy. They had a couple of games where Courtney Vanderson was out ill. Uh, Jantel Lavender broke her foot. And so she's presumably out for the rest of the season. I, w- I would guess even if the sky gets to the, to the championship round, she'd probably still uh, be inactive. But other than that, and, and Katie Lou uh, was out with the hand injury, the main core pieces for the Sky have not had too much to deal with. And that's been really lucky. Like even Los Angeles had Candace Parker come back. Um, and then they had Raquana Williams out for a little bit of time uh, with the domestic violence issues. Same for the Seattle Storm and Natasha Howard. And even some other teams have had. Uh, some key pieces lose time. Uh, Simone Augustus was out for Minnesota for so long, which is why it took them so long to get going. So it was really, really lucky and, and for the Sky to, to have that benevolence with the injury bug this year. Yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine this team if, you know, right around that time where they had that four-game losing streak or earlier in the season, if Courtney Vandersloot had – like had a high ankle sprain or something for two or three weeks. Like I, that could have doomed their season. Like that could have just completely changed all the events of the season. But like you said, aside from some, you know, uh, some, you know, I think Courtney Vandersloot was, was sick for a game or two. And then obviously Katie Lou had the wrist injury aside from that. And then obviously the Jantel Lavender injury, they, they've been really lucky and they've been able to build a lot of continuity. I think this was clearly a team that they needed to play together. They needed time to gel especially early in the season, you could just tell that they weren't super comfortable with each other, even though there were a lot of returning pieces. And I think that's something that's pretty common in the WNBA, just because you spend 
such a long time away from each other in the off season. But I think for the sky, especially they really, they really made use of having a healthy season uh, with their team in terms of building team chemistry and just looking like a, a cohesive unit. Now, as we come into the end of the season, there have been so many players throughout this throughout the year who have carried a team at one time or another. Courtney Vandersloot started off fairly slowly this year, and early on, it was Cheyenne Parker having a big impact off the bench. Um, Allie Quigley took a little bit of time to pick it up, but she had a, a just a scorching July, even into August. She was shooting really well, and uh, Diamond to Shields at times during the year. Um, I think. Lately, she's really come into her own as an offensive, defensive, two-way player. I want to—I I don't want to say the name yet because I want to get your thoughts. But of the people I mentioned and of the people that I haven't, who is the who is the key player? I mean, I—I I, I just as I'm saying, it, Courtney Vanderson is so obvious, but <laughs> who's like the who's the key like X factor? I would think going into the last two games and going into the playoffs for this guy. Yeah. Well, I think if you're going X factor, I think you, you can't say Courtney Vandersley then in that situation, just because she is the factor for this guy. Um, but I think for X factors, I, I feel like Cheyenne Parker could be it just because that front court with out Gantel Lavender can get real depleted real fast. I mean, Steph Dolson has just dealt with foul trouble so much this season that you almost expect it at this point and you need Cheyenne Parker to be able to play a good 20, 25, 30 minutes. If Steph is only going to play 15 or 20 in, in a night where she has foul trouble. And I think a Stu do has done a good job staying out of foul trouble, but she's not going to play 40 minutes a night, uh, especially even in a single elimination game, she's not going to give you that. So I think Cheyenne Parker, if she can kind of continue what she has been doing, I think she could be a, a real big factor that, that could swing a, a single elimination game. And that's definitely true. Uh, she's just such an energetic player that battles bigger players, has a bit, you know, has the obvious, um, w- she, she's just a, a, a bigger player than a Stu. And so even if she's not as tall as, say, Sylvia Foles, she had a great game against the Lynx on the road. I think it was 20... 24, 26 points, something like that. And she was keeping this guy close in that last quarter. I'm glad you bring up Steph Dolson because she is probably my favorite player on the team just for her on the court and off the court demeanor, like off the court. She's so loose. I talked, I had a chance to talk to her about this. Finally, she seems so loose off the court and goofy pregame in the, in the, in the pregame, just like entrance video that the team always shoots um, I, it looked like even at the Skyriders luncheon that she's just kind of that player that doesn't take herself or or things too, too seriously. I mean, on the court, she's all about the game and all about doing what she can to help the team win. And I love the fact that she is a shooter that's not afraid to step out to the three-point line. Having a stew as an, uh, another big that can do that is, is a boon. And Cheyenne even showed off her range against uh, Phoenix. Foul trouble, like you said, especially as of late since the All-Star break, uh, Steph's averaging like one and a half more fouls a game. Oof. It's going to be a problem, especially if they have to play uh, Minnesota again. And we saw it against Phoenix. She fouled out early in the fourth quarter after playing Brittany Griner. But I really think that Steph is that player that can 
they just that she just makes good she, good things happen when she's on the floor. Her plus minus and wins I, is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think Steph Steph is somebody that can really can really change a game for the sky and is just somebody who can keep the game level when things are getting out of control, when maybe turnovers are piling up, she's somebody who can kind of steady the ship a little bit if Courtney Vandersloot isn't doing it. And when she's not in foul trouble, she she can be a decent defender. Like I'm not saying she's going to be a, a world beater on that end, um, especially if she's playing a big player like Griner at the five. But when she's not in foul trouble, she can at least be impactful. She's not like a negative or anything like that. But when she does get in foul trouble, that's where you kind of see she, she can't defend nearly as well anymore just because she's worried about picking up that third foul in the first half or that fourth or fifth or final foul in the second half. So I, I do think that she could be a huge player. Like you said, her ability to just step out has become so huge for the Sky this season. She's done it in the past, but this year she's just been especially good. And she's also great in the pick and roll is just a popper. And so I think she's, she gives the Sky another look in the front court. And I think with a Stu and Cheyenne Parker and Steph Dolson, that's such an eclectic trio of players in terms of their skill set. I think it's so much more advantageous for, for James Wade to have Steph Dolson be able to play 20, 25, 30 good minutes without foul trouble. So I, I agree with you. I think she could be another huge X factor for this team. Now, as we get into the playoffs, I want to talk about the teams that the sky are going to face or could face um, since things haven't shaken out quite yet. Right now, they'd be playing the Phoenix, Phoenix Mercury in that first round. And they beat Phoenix three times this year. I went back over past seasons, um, even the last three years when they were under 500. They've been able to play Phoenix pretty well. And that's with a healthy Diana Taurasi, Brittany Griner, Dewana Bonner, and the like. So with, with those three games in the books already, what do you see? Do you see Phoenix doing anything differently that the Sky should watch out for? Uh, is there anything that you are looking for the sky to do to Im- Im- improve upon change or how do you see that matchup shaking out? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is Phoenix needs another player to really step up because Griner is, I mean, she's handled the sky in a lot of the matchups that they have had and, and she's gotten her 18, 22. I, I want to say in the last game, she had something in the realm of like 26 points uh, and quite a few rebounds. Um, but what the sky have kind of done really well is, you know, they've still defended Griner hard. They still thrown doubles at her, tried to force her to turn the ball over. But what they've done well is they've kind of just said, okay, like if Griner's going to get hers, that's fine. But we're going to stay home on everyone else and make sure nobody else is having an excellent game. And so I think with Phoenix, they need to find a way to get another player or two really involved or at least get a, an even contribution across the team. Because I think that's what the Sky have done a really good job on in terms of facing Phoenix this season is they haven't been able to con- contain Brittany Griner, but most teams in the league aren't going to be able to do that. So the sky have kind of accepted that. Like I said, they still try to defend her to the best of their ability, throw doubles at her, keep her uncomfortable, but they have done a good job defending everyone else. And so, yeah, I think with Phoenix, they, they need to find a, another person or two that they can get to step up and, I think one of the things in Phoenix, and you kind of alluded to this and talking about, you know, a healthy Diana Taurasi, one of the things that does kind of worry worry me about Phoenix is if Diana Taurasi suddenly like something clicks 
or she's just feeling really good in a game and then she goes off or she has an average for her performance, I think that could really swing uh, a single elimination game uh, out of the sky's favor. And that's the thing about Diana Taurasi. She's been so just not herself this year after coming back from that injury. And as it should be to be, you know, it's, it's to be expected, right? But Candace Parker's kind of made her, gotten back into form. Uh, Simone Augustus, even in limited time, has, has contributed to Minnesota. And it's so out of character. It just feels so out of character for Diana Taurasi to not be playing at a God-tier level. At, at this point in the season, especially with Phoenix for so long, they were on the cusp of that eighth spot. Indiana was still mathematically, they had a chance to make the playoffs up until a couple of games ago. Yeah. And I mean, she, if she's healthy for most of the season, or even if she comes back from that, from that back injury, which of course back injuries are, are no joke. Those are, those can just be completely debilitating, but if she comes back, even even a shadow of her former self, I think the Mercury, like you said, they're not struggling nearly as much as they did to, to clinch the playoffs. I think they clinch a lot earlier if she comes back stronger, but that just hasn't been the case for her so far. She's had a really tough time getting the ball through the net. She's had a tough time shooting from just about everywhere. And I know she's frustrated. Uh, I saw some quotes from her today saying that she's super frustrated with the way she's played, but she's going to keep powering through. So I, I, I do wonder if she's capable of that this season or if it's going to be she needs an entire offseason to kind of really rest her back and get healthy or if it is something where it just clicks and, and she goes off in the playoffs. Talking here with Nick Neandorf of High Post Hoops, writer on the Chicago Sky and the Chicago Bulls. Last couple questions here, Nick. Outside of the top two teams in the WNBA right now, the Washington Mystics who've just run roughshod over nearly everyone and the Connecticut Sun, who surprised a few people but proved themselves uh, staying power, proved themselves to have staying power and are the number two seed for a reason. Which team in the remaining six, at, uh, that three through eight, which of those teams is the scariest matchup for the Sky if they should meet in the playoffs? I, I got to say, I feel like the Aces and the Sky, I feel like that's – I don't know if it's a nightmare matchup, but it's, I don't think they match up particularly well just because the aces rely on their two bigs so much and the sky just have a lot of trouble uh, defending teams that have two really good bigs who can bang down low. And I think with uh, Liz Cambage's ability to pass this year, it it makes her just so hard to guard. If you don't have a a true five, a true rim protecting five on your team. So I I, I think I got to go with the aces. I, I can't imagine that that would be a matchup that James Wade is, is craving early on or at all, uh, but it is very well one that this guy could get. And I know they have that close win against them in Las Vegas, but then kind of just the biggest one going away in Chicago. And I, I was kind of surprised by that answer just because they beat them at least once this season. Um, I know Minnesota is probably the team, especially with them being regional like regional rivals, the team that I would love for the sky to beat the most, but I would not want to see them play. Sylvia Falls is such and just such a powerhouse of a big in the middle in terms of scoring, rebounding. On the Fisa Collier, 
is a great two-way defender that plays in the post. So I, I, I want them to beat Minnesota, and I would feel that much sweeter in the playoffs, but I don't know if I want this guy to see them in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I completely I completely agree. I can't imagine – I do think there is that kind of that, uh, that bad blood between the Sky and the Aces, and so that would make a win over them pretty sweet. But a win over the Lynx would be – I think that would just be perfect just because, like you said, the Lynx have kind of handled the Sky all season. I would probably describe that one as more of a nightmare matchup just because the Lynx are so solid throughout that front court. And like I said, the Sky have just not been able to find an answer against the Lynx uh, in all of their matchups this season. And there is that aspect of being regional rivals. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree with you there that a Lynx matchup, it'd be cool in theory. And I, I would, I would like to see the Sky be able to come out on top on that, but I could just see that getting ugly real quick. Last one, it's good that we did get on the links there. Uh, head coach and GM Cheryl Reeve has done a masterful job in kind of remaking that team, not necessarily remaking their identity, but just remaking them in the absence of Maya Moore for her sabbatical, Lindsay Whalen's retirement, and the time that Simone Augustus missed, as well as the players who were away for Eurobasket, and made them into a playoff team and a playoff contender. Obviously, as we said, Sylvia Foles, and Nafisa Collier doing things down low, but also picking up Danielle Robinson, the WNBA veteran, and Odyssey Sims has made them such a formidable team, and Demiris Dantas. And I was um, working on an article that I am trying to put out later this week, and when I had the chance to talk to Sloan Martin, the radio announcer for the, uh, the Minnesota Lynx, she made mention of that fact of how Cheryl Reeve has kind of remade that team in a season where people might've expected them to miss the playoffs. And that probably would have gotten Reeve coach of the year honors, if not for the fact that James Wade has taken a non-playoff team with essentially the same roster and proved them by at least six wins and gotten them to the playoffs. So without any bias, which is hard, who would be your choice for coach of the year? I think I'd definitely go James Wade, but I do think Cheryl Reeve has made it incredibly difficult uh, to pick between the two down the stretch of the season. I do think she is definitely, she's got to be a lock for exec of the year. Um, But I do, I do think that Wade's ability to, to take a very similar roster, obviously he did nab Jantel Lavender. And I think she's been huge for this team, but even since she's gone down, the team has still performed really well. I think his ability to take, a very similar roster to last year and just turn them around completely and recreate this locker room's culture and how they play on the court and get them to just buy in completely. I think for me, that's got to be the thing that, that puts him over the edge. Nick, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time. Again, Nick Neendorf, great writer for High Post Hoops on the Chicago Sky this season. Check him out after the WNBA uh, playoffs ends, writing about the Bulls at Pippen Ain't Easy. Um, Nick, how can the people find you on Twitter? Um, they can find me at Neendorf21. That's N-I-E-N-D-O-R-F 21. Once again, this has been the Above the Clouds podcast for Regal Radio. I'm Chris Pennant, Chicago Sky writer for Regal Radio. Find us on Twitter at Regal Radio and the number one. And you can find me at Quandary Kitten. That's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y Kitten. Until next time, folks, be good and do great things. We'll see you.